So we're starting a series on worship, and, and, and the, reason, <clears throat> the reason behind it is not that we don't worship. The reason behind it is that we are, we're always worshiping. And sometimes we get confused about that, but according to Scripture, we are always worshiping. That's what we're made to do. And because we're always worshiping, sometimes it gets, we, we, we kind of get sidetracked and we start worshiping something that isn't the one we want to worship. And so we're going to talk today about what worship is. Next week, we'll talk about why we worship. Then we'll talk about how we worship. And then the, the last thing in the series, depending on who's preaching, we'll be talking to some extent about the power that comes, the power of worship, why we do it, what we do, how we do it, and, and, and what does God do in the midst of it. Now, I want to start off before we read the passage, and, and it's going to be a little bit more didactic today than, than I normally am. Uh, it's going to be more teaching. You're going to see some stuff on the screen, some Greek and Hebrew words. Um, I'll try to pronounce them right. You don't have to remember them. You just have to remember what they mean. It's important for us as followers of Christ, if we, if we are to worship the one true king, we should know what Scripture tells us worship is. In other words, are we, do we want in worship, what God wants in worship. That's kind of what we're looking at for the next four weeks. Um, it's not a corrective, it's a reminder, and it's an encouragement. So let's pray together, and then we're going to read a very familiar passage, one that's been preached uh, on from this pulpit within the last nine or ten years. Um, uh, but when we look at it, we should look at it as not the familiar part, but then the descriptor after, because it talks about worship, and then it kind of describes what, what Scripture means about we're always worshiping. So let's pray together, and we'll get to it. Lord, you're God, and we're not. And it was so interesting this week listening to, uh, I was listening to a, a, another pastor, and, and he, went, he went on and on about you're God and we're not. Um, I've just never heard anyone else say it, and then to have someone explain it so much. It, Lord, just that small confession is a rebellious act in our world, and it's a rebellious act against our flesh. It's a rebellious act against idolatry to say, you're God, we're not. Lord, we thank you that you're God and we're not. We ask that you, as God, the maker of all things, the one who sustains the world with your living word, we ask that you speak to us today, that you give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, hearts to receive what you want us to receive. Lord, Tell us only what you want us to hear. Show us only what you want us to see. And give us only what you want us to have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage is Romans 12, 1 through 8. I know your bulletin says 1 through 3. I can't claim that that was a typo on my part because 8 and 3 aren't anywhere near each other on the keyboard. But it's my fault. All the scripture, all eight verses should be up there. Um, but this was a transformative verse for me. Uh, when I was a young preacher, uh, I was trying to figure out how to communicate something that you've heard out of me a thousand times. But I was trying to figure out how to, how to, how to, how to say this one thing. And right before I read this passage, the Lord kind of gave it to me. I mean, I don't get that very often, probably three times in my life where, where I'm in the middle of something and I have a thought that I've never had before, but I know in my gut it's from God. And it was, Trent, it's not, don't tell them to try to please me. Tell them to behave as if they're pleased with me. So there's a big difference. Well, me and my wife, if I'm in the doghouse, I'm going to try to please her. 
I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to wipe my uh, English muffin crumbs off the counter. You know, after you cut them, they get kind of, um, that doesn't have anybody else. Um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to let her know when I'm coming home. I'm going to be home on time, all that kind of stuff. If I'm in the doghouse, I'm trying to get out of the doghouse by doing things to please her. But I will do the exact same things, but with a completely different motive if I'm pleased with her. So think about it when you were a kid and you had a bad report card and you knew it was coming. In fact, they, at least when I was in school, they used to send it home with you. And so, you know, when you hand that over to your parents, what's coming? Um, again, probably only me especially those citizenship marks, because I was a little hyper. Um, <laughs> so you try to soften the blow by, you know, you, you, you act a little sweeter, you over-obey, you try to soften the blow before, before they see the bad news, so that when they do see it, it doesn't feel to you as bad as it would have if you didn't sweeten, if you didn't sweeten things up. Sometimes we look at God, and we look at worship of God as something we do to stay in good, God's good graces, something we do to please God. But what if we had this attitude, this idea, that God is worthy of worship always, and I'm pleased with that. I'm pleased with God. Now, there's some words about being pleased in this passage, but let's read them. But remember, the first part of this is a statement. The second part of this is a descriptor. It reads like this. This is Paul to the church in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This are holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's the statement. Here's the descriptor. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to, the, to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is, if it is leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So offer, in, in, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, that's the first thing that we should see. Because I'm a person... I'm kind of, uh, I'm honor-based in my, in, in, in my worldview and how I decide to do or not to do something. What's the honorable thing to do? Um, and so when I read this, you know, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. I mean, I, I kind of concentrate on the sacrifice, the, the okay, it's going to cost. It's going to cost. And if it's going to cost, it's probably the right thing to do. But, but when we look at this, this passage, it starts off with saying, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that God does not give you what you deserve, he's merciful to us. Offer your bodies, your whole self, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So when we think typically, now not always, but typically we think of worship, and we think of worship services. We think of music, especially if it's the music we like. But we don't think of it as 
prophesying or teaching or leading or showing compassion or being hospitable. Or we, we, that's not typically what we think of when we think of worship. And that, in part, is a fault of people like me. Because we, we, we encourage everyone to come to worship, right? We're here together. Do not give up the habit of, of meeting with one another. As some, or do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We, we put a lot of importance on a worship service, and we should. But sometimes it's at the expense of the rest of our lives. Because Paul talks about, look, we shouldn't think of ourselves more haughty or, or, or more important than we are, we should look at ourselves and see, how has God gifted me? How has God shown me who I am? How is, how is he, I don't like to, the mechanical understanding of, of human beings because we're more than a machine or wiring, but how has God wired you? What is it that you do that other people don't do as well? What is it that, that, that's passionate to you? I, most people aren't gifted in a way that they're called to do something that they hate doing. Like, if, if you're terrified of standing in front of people and proclaiming the Word of God, you're probably not called to do what I do. But if you're, if, if you're really good at welcoming people in your home, you've probably been given the gift of hospitality. If you're someone who sees the needs of others and feels compassion toward them, you're prob- that is, that to, to actually act on that sense of compassion is worship. And I keep using that word, what is it? According to the New Testament, there are several different words for worship. Some are really good, and some describe the stuff that we sometimes get caught in. And then the Old Testament has several, several words. There's really three primary ones, but we're going to talk about two of them. They should be on the screen in this order, but the first one is, is that you could find in Romans 12, 1 here. Latreo, um, the state of a hired hand or service. This is where we get the idea of a worship service. I mean, think about it. It's kind of a strange thing to call. If, if I serve Troy in a way, and, and he serves others in a way, that is service, right? It, it, it's a descriptor of the act of being a servant. And then we call gathering together, singing songs, praying, talking about community, uh, community needs, and, 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 and we hear the Word of God, we call that a service, not service. So we, we take something that is descriptive when we nounify it. This word, latreu, the state of a hired hand or service, the business or duties of life, to perform sacred services as in religious worship. But Paul's not using it in the sense of religious worship services like we are doing here. He's using it in the sense of how we are to behave, who we are to be, and what we are to do. So he wants, he's talking about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. In what way? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Now, we can... it's really easy to do this, but in the world, we can, or in, in the church, we can make the world the enemy. If you're not in the church, you're the enemy. But according to Scripture, our enemy isn't flesh and blood. So what is the world? It's the, 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 the world is the idea, the set of ideas that is counter to God's desire. So when Paul talks about the world... When, Jesus, when, when, when John talks about, for God so loved the world, that's the cosmos. That's a little bit different word for the world, and it's just talking about the, the, 
the way of thinking that is counter to God's desire for us. It's the way of thinking and the way of seeing the, our experiences in a way that is contrary to the will of God, to the righteousness of God, to the desire of God. When it says here to, to, to make yourself holy and pleasing. So as Christians, as people who follow the king, to worship God in part is to see our experiences with different lenses than non-Christian people see them. And so we should not be looking for what to get, but what to give. We should be looking not how to get back at someone, but how quickly we might forgive them. We should be looking at not how others can serve me, but how I can serve them. It's Jesus takes the world that's upside down, cracked and bent, and he flips it right side up, straightens it out, and makes it clear. And it is counter-cultural. It is a defiant act in the world we live in today, the world that God loves and wants to redeem. It is a defiant act to behave in such a way that we communicate who our God is by how we treat others. That is your spiritual act of worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, your bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Well, what does it mean to be holy? Well, God is holy. He is completely other. He is beyond all, and he is sinless, incapable of making a mistake, incapable of breaking a promise. Um, can we be that? Not completely, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, we have access to the truth of God, the power of God, and even the experience of God all the time. All the time. That's why we're called chosen people. It's not chosen because we're perfect and that we deserve it, but because God chooses a certain group of people in, in, in the world for all eternity past and for all eternity future to have access to the truth, the power, the will, and the experience of God so that we can show the world what it means to love God and to be loved by God. So we are always worshiping. But what are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? Other words, proskuneo. This one I quote quite often. It means to lean forward in order to kiss or to, to bow down. So whatever get, I've told you to, to you before, I'm going to just say it one more time because I just think it's really cool. Um, it comes from the word used to describe a dog licking its master's hand. So we, we don't have a dog anymore, but we did, two of them, and that dog feared me, worshipped Lynn. Lynn would walk in, I would walk in, when I get up to get my coffee in the morning, that dog got out of my way. Because I, I watched a video one time, and they said, look, you should be the most interesting thing in your dog's life. So if, if that dog's in your way, you don't step over, he gets out of your way. So I kind of went, okay. But Lynn, it was a whole different thing. That dog adored Lynn. And when a dog licks your hand, 
People that are animal experts will say that the dog licks your hand to get the salt, because they need the salt. But even tasting the salt is pleasurable. So they do it out of the, for the pleasure of it. They do it because they love the experience of communicating affection to you, and they receive something in return. So if worship is leaning forward in order to kiss. Like think, think of, a, of a Catholic bishop that has the big ring and they put it out and someone leans forward to kiss it. Or if you, if you think of the, the days when, when, when chivalry was still alive and, and, a, and a lady would put out her hand and the man would take it and she always had a white glove on, but he would kind of kiss it. It's just a way of showing honor. And it's to say that I am pleased with you, not that you are here to please me. So worship is being pleased with God, and it's being pleased with God always. Even when you get bad news, even when life is mundane, but if we lose sight of that, and we often do, we're still worshiping. We're just not worshiping God. We're either worshiping our own neediness we can worship our own family. We can worship the pursuit of the almighty dollar. We can, we can worship a political bent. We can wor- There's all kinds of things. We are always worshiping. So what or who am I worshiping when I'm not concentrating specifically, intentionally with an act of my will on God? Because you are worshiping God something. There is something you're bending your will to, something that gets your thoughts, something that gets your desires, something that, something that takes up more mind space than God. Sebomai is another one. This is what you would see in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, which means to fear or to venerate, to revere, to hold in awe. It's actually the word honor comes from um, when you translate it, when you move it from, from Greek and you move it to English, the word honor comes from the word awe. So to honor your spouse would literally be every time she or he walked into the room, to honor them in a literal sense would be to fall to your knees every time they walked in and go, how's that going? (laughs) But can we be that way with God? I think one of the things that, that I think a lot of the changes in the church and a lot of the changes of our approach to God in the last 30 to 50 years is really good. But I think one of the things we've lost is the sense of the fear of the Lord. And we think fear is to be afraid, and it is, but God is holy. He is completely other. He is beyond our comprehension. He gave us, out of his mercy and grace to us, he gave us what he wants us to know about himself. He self-revealed himself to us, and we kind of think his job is to make our lives easier. His job is to work for me. God is my employee. There's no fear involved in that. The idea of revering, honoring, having a healthy sense of fear. I mean, think about the times in Scripture, even in Joshua. Joshua, in Joshua chapter, I believe it's four, when he, he, he goes out to Jericho, he's scouting it out, and they're going to bring down the walls of Jericho. You remember this story? And, and he comes up, and there, there's, there's an angel. He doesn't know it's an angel yet, but he comes up to this angel who's all clad in warrior garb, and are you on our side or our side of our enemies? And the angel of the Lord says, neither. 
I'm a commander of God's army. He's not concerned about what Joshua is doing or what the enemies are doing. He's there to do the will of the Father. And Joshua bent his knee. He immediately was in awe. Think about the times when God shows up. What happens? I mean, Paul was blinded. But there's often fear involved. And the angel always has to say, fear not. Do not be afraid. Why are you so afraid? I think we've lost a little bit of that. We've lost some of the idea that we're dealing with God, who is more powerful than we could even consider. And he wants us to approach him in reverence, in awe, but with boldness. He wants us to lean forward in order to kiss his hand. He wants us to show him honor and praise and glory, not just in the Latreo moments, not just in the religious services moments. As Paul describes, this is your spiritual act of worship. How do you do that? You do it by finding out how God has made you and do that to the glory of God always. Another one, this is a weird one in Scripture. The only time it shows up is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 when pastors Chris and Kurt talked about worship in the First Corinthians passage and how it was misused. And I, this is a hard one to pronounce, but ethelotreskeia. It's arbitrary, self-imposed worship, which is formulated not for the glory of God, but for one's own self-gratification. And I got to tell you, I struggle with this. Not that I, I don't stand up thinking they're going you know, to give me glory. It's just there's certain types of music. Oh. So think of fingers on a chalkboard. You ever have those sensations and you're just like, ha, ah. There are certain styles of music that I listen to and I, I don't want to listen to. I will avoid it at all costs. But sometimes they show up in a worship service. And I'm like, oh, it's, it, it, oh. When I was a church planter, there was a guy planting a church and the whole style of his music was called ska. I bet none of you have ever heard of that. Except maybe Troy. Yeah, he's over there nodding. Musicians might have heard about it. You have? Oh my goodness, when I sat in that worship service, it was excruciatingly difficult to worship. That's self-aggrandizement. That's that service, that worship service, that thing that they're doing should make me feel good. That's not worship. That's consumerism at best. Paul spends two chapters in 1 Corinthians talking to the people about how they're misusing worship. And I just want to call us to reconsider. There are things that happen in worship services that we don't like. There are styles of music that we crave, and there are others that we're like, eh. And there's some that just, oh. When I sit right there before a worship service, before I stand up to preach, and a style of music comes up that I abhor, I still can worship God. Because if I show up to a religious act of worship, a worship service, the gathering of God's people, the scattered people of God gathering together, if my goal is to get, I'm not worshiping. If my goal is to give honor and glory to God, I am. Old Testament, some Hebrew words, shaha which is to depress, to bow down, or to prostrate oneself. Basically, lie on the ground 
with your face in the dirt. There's a whole tribe in Africa, a, a, a people group in Africa that they don't have a word for worship. They don't have a word for I'm at your service. But what they do is they lay on the ground and they say, my, my face is in the dirt before you. So they'll sit outside of the, of the other person's living space if they owe them a debt and they will lay on the ground and, and say, my face is in the dirt before you. It's worship. You cannot bend your knee, you cannot bow your head and be in control. Think about it, when people come before a monarch, if you watch all the old, um, all the old TV shows about the Elizabethan, Elizabethan period, that kind of thing, when, when, when a knight is knighted, when they're dubbed a knight, what do they do? They, nailed, they kneel down, they hold their sword like this, and they bend their head, and then someone has power over them. It would be very easy to dispatch said person when they're in front of you with their head bowed. So they're saying, you have power and authority over me, and the only power and authority I have is that which you grant to me. God is the sovereign. There's a lot of talk about the sovereign right now going on in our world. God is the sovereign one, and we are to place our face in the dirt before him. We are to kneel, bend our bodies, to bend our will, and to say to God always, you have authority over me, and the only authority I have is that which you grant to me, and it is for your glory that I would use it. Atsab, this is what you will find. It doesn't even show up as the word worship in the NIV in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, 9. It is to shape, form, or fashion, or to stretch into something new, or to make it fit. In other words, it's crafting a physical idol. That's how it's used in 1 Chronicles 10.9. But it doesn't say anything here about crafting a physical idol. We will take all kinds of things in our lives and shape and push them and, and try to make them be pleasing to God. Or... We try to make God come on board and say, yep, what you're doing, it's okay. It's called justification, and we do it all the time. But the question Christians should be asking is, is something like this. Do I want what God wants instead of will God give me what I want. So I'm going to read this passage. We'll conclude with this. I'm going to read this passage one more time. And I'm going to ask you with those ideas of, of worship, the ideas of I do not have power over my own life. I've given that authority to the Lord. He had it all along, but as an act of my will, I choose to say to the Lord, I am whose I am. And that's not just in a worship service. It's not just at work. It's not just in my family. It's always. Because we are always worshiping. And as an act of our will to renew our minds, to be conformed not to the, to the pattern of this world, but to the pattern of God's will. So hear these words one more time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. All of those are descriptors of what it means to offer everything that you have as worship to God. Let's pray. Lord, you're God. And we're not. And you tell us to magnify you, which seems like a strange word, because we can't make you bigger, look bigger than you are. But we are to focus on you so that we see almost nothing else. We're to worship you, Lord, to, to be pleased with you, to ask you to give us the strength to look for what you want from us as, as, you, look, as you give to us what's good for us. So, Lord, you're looking to give to us as long as we're looking to give to you. So, Lord, help us be people who lift you up, who glorify your name, who magnify your name, and who worship you always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.